see. It's a, it's a six-fold ministry now. It's apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, and sound men. Okay, so uh, this evening is July 29th. It's 2009. Our message tonight is called S-O-G. <laughs> yeah, S-O-G. Of all the things you'd like to be called, an S-O-G is better than some of the other initials that you could be called. S-O-G tonight will stand for Son of God. What an amazing thing to be called a Son of God. One of the things that you need to know is that when you're looking at the Hebrew language, the word Son can be translated either Bar or Ben. Both of those mean Son. For instance, I have a little boy who I guess he's in children's church now. His, uh, no, he's back there. His name is Judah Benjamin. Benjamin is a Hebrew word that is compound. Yamin is joy. Ben is son. So Benjamin means son of joy. But one of the things when you're looking at the Hebrew language that you need to know is The word son does not always mean that somebody came from your body. When you say, um, this person is my son, it's most obvious the first definition is probably one that comes from your own body. But another would be, do you remember Jesus told the Pharisees, your disciples go out and make twice the sons of hell that you already are? Well, what does that mean, to be a son of hell? In Hebrew, to be a son of can mean that you are literally from the genetics of the person, or it can mean that you have such a close relationship that you've taken on their characteristics. So somebody's talmudim, their disciples, would be considered their sons. And a rabbi would be considered like a daddy figure. Uh, Paul said you may not have... um, I don't remember how Paul said it at this point. But in the book of Corinthians, he calls himself a father to the Corinthian church. Having said that, this relationship was supposed to mirror something. And as I began to look at this, our New Testament did not come to us in Hebrew. It came to us in Greek. And an amazing thing happens. In Greek, there are two different words to express that concept. Greek is one of those languages. In Hebrew, when you say the son of, you have to listen to the context to see, does he literally mean his biological son, or does he mean somebody with his characteristics? And the only way to know that is the, the context of the conversation. In Greek, there's two separate words for that, and I thought we would look at some of them. Turn with me to Matthew 3. You already confused? No. Well, good. Two of you aren't. That's not a bad average for me. In Matthew 3, picking up in the 8th verse, we have John the Immerser speaking, and he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Some translations say sons for Abraham. God can take an inanimate stone and make it a son of Abraham. When Greek is expressing something that comes from a body, like a biological son, that word is technon. If you want to spell it phonetically, it would be T-E-K-N-O-N. 
And what John the Baptist is saying is do not rely on your biological inheritance. God could do that from even a group of stones. Have you ever heard people talking about, uh, like in, in my situation, I was raised by a man who was not my biological father. I call him daddy. To me, he is my dad. I don't see it any differently. Uh, have you ever heard people talking in that situation and tried to draw a distinction between someone who fathered you and somebody who was a dad to you? This is similar in these words. When you say somebody is your technon, you're acknowledging that they're your offspring. Uh, when my son Judah was born, we put him into a nursery. They had to put a band upon his arm. That band on his arm said, Judah Benjamin Stevens. Why did they have to label him? Well, he couldn't talk. <clears throat> he didn't act so much like me that you knew he was mine. Right? He was simply my techno. And the only way that you would know he was mine was there was a birth certificate that proved it. A techno. <clears throat> Turns me to John 1. We'll be in verse 10. One of you are there. You're going to make me quit and go home. <laughs> in John 1 starting in verse 10 actually I came in very heavy and I'm very light now so you have to forgive me I feel uh, pretty excited he was in the world and though the world was made through him the world did not recognize him he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the technon of God, children, son of God. If you memorize this in King James, it's he gave them the right to become sons of God. In other words, it's as if through Jesus you can get a birth certificate that says, I am birthed of God. That's not a bad thing, right? This is not a message where you're going to hear two different words for son and one is bad and the other is good. One is good and the next is even better. You know, there was a time when I took my son to my parents' house and I gave him some special instructions that were not so nice when I dropped him off. I said, you know all those things we tell you not to do? You know, those kind of crude things little boys like to do? I said, you're not allowed to do any of that at our house. Not around your mama, not around... But, but at Mimo and Papa's house, it's all okay. <laughs> I came picked him back up later that day, and my mother says, Do you know what your son did? No, what? Right? She said, He is just like you. That is a different kind of son. At the point at which you can look at somebody and say, he's not just mine biologically, you can see that his behavior is similar to mine. You can see my characteristics in him. There is a different word for this in Greek. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 5. You'll be in the ninth verse. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This word sons is not technon. He's not saying blessed are the peacemakers, for you will be called physically descendant from God. He says blessed are the peacemakers, for you are the huios of God. This is H-U, 
I-O-S, Julios. Julios is a Greek word that means sons. That's why it's translated that way. But when compared with technon, the difference between Julios and technon is one is physically yours. You have a birth certificate for him. The other may be as well, but characteristically, he is yours. In other words, I can have a son who acts nothing like me and he has a birth certificate. He could be my technon, but he certainly could not be my Julios. If you want to be a son of God, be like God. The Greek word for that is Julios. So every time you find a scripture that says you will be called sons of God, it's always Julios. Now watch this. This gets even better. Before we leave Matthew, turn with me to Matthew 5.43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. By the way, who is this being written to? Is this written to the church at Rome? No, is this written to the Church of Christ community? Was this written to the Baptist church? Who was this written to? Who did Jesus speak these words to? Was he speaking uh, to a Norwegian group? Israel. And what does the word Israel mean? In fact, God adopted the entire nation... And he baptized them when he took them through the Red Sea. You could say that they were already God's technon. Because God had said, you are mine. You will be a people of my choosing. But he said, if you want to be like me, a Julios, you need to be a peacemaker. Look what else what he says. He came to that, no, no, no. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons, Julios, of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you want to be a Julios of God, if you want to be a son of his character, a disciple of him, Somebody that through your actions, you know who his dad is. We have to be kind. We have to be loving to everyone around us. Could you be sitting in a room with an heir to millions and millions and millions of dollars and not know it? Sure. They might not even know it, right? Because those things are based on legal stipulations. They're based on who was in a will, who your mommy and daddy was, all of those things. Could you be sitting in a room with somebody spiritually rich beyond measure and not know it? It better show up in their actions. It better show up in their actions. I want to introduce an idea to you tonight. It's going to come from the 8th chapter of Romans. I borrowed this from John Bevere. I'm plugging his book pretty healthily here. I... I, uh, I don't get royalties off of it. I'm even going to put it in the library that Suzanne is building free so that, dear God, you would not have to spend a dime to learn something. This is so good, what the man has put in his book, for our benefit. If you have not gone to go find this book yet, I'm telling you I am reading it. Matthew is reading it. Members of our board in Baton Rouge are reading it. And all of us are being blessed by it. So when I tell you it's a book about offenses, don't get offended. That would prove that you need the book. Okay? What I'm going to teach you in Romans 8 comes from John Bevere, and it is a serious blessing. 
Turn with me to Romans 8. We're going to start in, I guess, about verse 14. You there? I lied. We're going to start in verse 16. How many of you are familiar with this? 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit that God put in you testifies that you are God's son, God's children. Anybody want to guess what word that would be? We've got a 50-50% chance, right? 50-50 shot. It's technon. Surprise me. The Spirit is in us, and He's testifying. God has adopted you. You know what He is not testifying to? You are just like God. Your character is great. Darren, you are so much like God, you can be mistaken for it. The Spirit's not in you saying that. The Spirit is in you saying you now have a shot because you've been given a birth certificate from the king. But listen to what this 14th verse says. Oh, it's amazing. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the huios of God. The Holy Ghost moved in you the day that you got born again to give you a birth certificate that says this Lisa, this Jennifer, this Debbie are legitimate sons of God. Legitimate. There is a birth certificate here just as if Jesus himself had signed it that says you are God's offspring. But if you want to be called the Julios of God, if you want people to know that you are a chip off the big block, if you want people to know that you are a, hear this word, Christian, meaning I am like Christ, there's only one way to do it. It's not by a birthright. It's not by an experience at an altar. It is by being led by His Spirit. This is the only way to become the Julios of God. Now what's interesting is scriptures like Galatians 3.26 says you are all the huios of God through trust in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. How can you make a statement like this? It is assumed that when you were born again, when you were given that birth certificate, that the rest of your life would be about putting on more and more of the attributes of Christ so that every day you look less like Technon and more like Julius. Isn't this exactly what happens with our children? Men name their sons after them all of the time. This one, this one is Matthew Jr. It's hard for him. He got four girls. He got a good deal. He got a good deal. I'll let you borrow my boys sometimes. This one is called Matthew Jr., right? But what do you do when Matthew Jr. doesn't like what you do for a living? What do you do when Matthew Jr. is right-handed and you're left-handed? What do you do when Matthew Jr. Uh, doesn't like to play the guitar and you do? What do you do when Matthew Jr. and you have nothing in common? Well, then there's only the name. This is where most of the body of Christ is. Nothing in common with God except the name. They have none of the same likes. None of the same interests. None of the same hobbies. Dare I say God has a hobby? Yeah, loving everyone. 
How about that? But we're not called simply to bear a name. We are called to become like the king of kings. I think we probably ought to turn to 1 John. You'll be in 1 John. We will start in the second chapter. Uh, all of our Jewish brothers are out tonight. At least all the ones I know are out tonight. <laughs> Finding out more and more every day through DNA testing, right? <clears throat> but if you were a Jewish male on your 13th birthday, you would become Bar Mitzvah, a son of the commands of God. Prior to this, you had been, like the Greek word, technon. You had been born into a nation that was in covenant with God called God's Son. You had a legitimate right based on your lineage and your heirship to certain promises of God. But on your 13th birthday and age of maturity, you were supposed to be able to read the word for yourself. And from that day forward, you were supposed to take on the character of God daily till you reach maturity at 30. And then it could be said that you were a mature man like God in heaven. This is why Jesus was about 30 when the voice spoke from the heavens and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Anybody want to guess what word was used? It was not technon. Because Jesus at 30 had the characteristics of his Father in heaven, which was the goal for all Jewish men. From 13 to 30, they were supposed to develop them. Guys, if you're still in your 20s, this means there's lots of grace for you. Kidding. Not really. Y'all in First John? Yes. Let's look at uh, the second verse. My First uh, John 2, 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. When we want to become sons of God, Romans tells us you already have a birth certificate. The Spirit is in you. He's testifying you have been born again. You have become the technon of God. But every day that you endeavor to be led by His Spirit, Lord, in this situation, do I take this job or that job? Lord, in this situation, do I go on this date or not go on this date? Lord, I was just incredibly insulted. Do I speak my word here, stay silent, or do you have a word for me to speak? In every one of those scenarios, you have the opportunity to become a son of God, a Julios, just like him. Jesus was this to the extent that he could say, I only say 
what I hear my father say. And I only do what I see my father doing. Anybody in here want to stand up and make that claim? No. Me either. And yet it is very much our aim. Because as you are already aware, you can have a birth certificate and disown yourself. God will remain faithful to his word. There is no question that the king of the universe will do exactly what his word says. And if you do not trust him enough to be led by him, you are not his, even if you had a birth certificate. Oh, that is such a hard truth. Look at Luke 8. He says it as bluntly as could be said. Now, I'm not telling you these things because you are not his. I'm telling you these things because you are his. I'm not telling you these things because you don't want to be led by the Spirit. I'm telling you these things because you are endeavoring to be led by the Spirit. But friends, the stakes are high. For whatever reason, in not just American Christianity, but Christianity at large, the idea has crept in that we can kind of do whatever we would like to do for a while and then repent. It doesn't work that way. And I want you to hear, forgive me if this offends your sensibilities, the way the world says it. Do whatever the hell you want to do. Well, where did that phrase come from? Where did that phrase come from? <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. Some go out and make twice the sons of hell that they are already. Guys, you are what you act like. If you act like God, you are a son of God. Hmm. How about that? Are you in Luke 8? Yes. 8.14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I want you to understand that the difference between somebody issued a birth certificate who is a technon and somebody who makes it to be led by the Spirit, they have the characteristics of God, those that make it to the Julios, the difference is they are maturing. If we have the idea that you got saved one day, and wow, I got saved. Good for you. That is like saying you were born. You have the rest of your life left to live. How many of you, we celebrate the days of birth, right? But if it was just a one-day event, that's something you mourn, isn't it? Isn't it? Now, I'm a pastor. I'm in all kind of awkward situations all the time. I don't know whether you get these phone calls, but I have been there when the babies lived one day. That is not a happy day. You don't celebrate that day of birth, do you? No, birthdays are celebrated when you begin to stack birthday upon birthday because you are celebrating life that has endured, that has grown, that has developed. You have watched something that looked like a little football when it was born turn into a human being that is starting to look and act like you starting to learn and perceive about the world and make decisions, and you are celebrating this every year. But in Christianity, what do we celebrate? We celebrate an experience at an altar. Friends, this was the birth. This was the birth. You can have somebody that's been a technon for 25 years. I got my birth certificate. Well, good for you. Did you ever change the diapers? Our king is calling us towards maturity. 
Now, according to the Luke scripture, what kept people from maturing? They were choked. Choked. By the way, Hebrews 3.13 says something. You meet a hard-hearted person, right? Uh, nobody would describe themselves as hard-hearted because we don't have the ability to uh, do that, right? But you meet some. let's just say, in some double-blind study, right? Two different groups of people have identified me as what I couldn't identify myself. Hard-hearted, right? I told everybody, I'm wonderful. I love Jesus. I'm awesome. But the people who knew me said, no, he's hard-hearted. Hebrews 3.13 says there's only one way for that to happen. You know what men are hardened by? Sin's deceitfulness. Mm. Guys, that is a gut check. Mm. That is a gut check. Your heart is hard in an area. There's only one way that that is able to happen. You might be the sweetest, quietest person in the world that is never lashing out, never doing anything. But if you are hard towards the word, hard towards people, it is because you have been deceived by sin. So many of us have things choking us in our lives. And we act like we don't know what's happening. If every time... You put yourself in a certain position. Things that are not God's will for you happen. Why do you keep going to choke yourself? Hmm? Not everybody is going to make it in this. It is required that we mature. It's not required that you exist. It's not required that you just sit. It's not required that you just sit and learn. You must become more like Every day. Ephesians 4.11 tells us one of the ways that we mature. I just got about three more scriptures with you. So if you're mad, you'll get a chance to go get a breather in about eight more minutes. Hmm. Ephesians 4. Start with me in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. That statement's not written in a vacuum. It's Ephesians 4.11, if you're still looking for it. It's not a standalone. He didn't write that on a scroll and send it by carrier pigeon to some people in a faraway land. It has a qualifying statement after it. He says why Jesus gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be teachers, some to be pastors, and some to be evangelists. Verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. That's edified. That's not increase in number. It means to mature. We call it success when there are more people. But what the Bible defines as success is when the number of people that you have are growing up in their faith. For that to happen, you have to weed and feed. You have to be allowed the right to say, that is not good for you. <clears throat> but none of us like that. We want to be an island to ourselves. But Ephesians 4 does not say God appointed you as an island to yourself and you will eventually mature. It says that God appointed apostles, teachers, pastors, evangelists, all of those fivefold ministry to prepare you for works of service. 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in trusting and in the knowledge of the huios of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God put people in your life, and he put them in your life so that you would be prepared for works of service. That's why they're there. If you've got a garden full of weeds, you can get mad at the gardener. It will not help your garden. You can fire the gardener and hire another one. It won't help your garden. You can find a gardener who will lie to you and tell you your garden's just fine the way it is, but it will not help your garden. And at the end of the day, we must mature. We have to. And what this book has been talking about, by the way, it uses none of these scriptures. <laughs> That's just something that God does with me. But what this book has been talking about is people running from one situation to another one and bringing the same problem over and over and over and over again. And I realized many times in my life I have done exactly that because I was slow to realize that I was the problem. It wasn't everybody else and everything else that needed to change. God was trying to change me. And I'll tell you what else. He will put you under flawed people because he's not able to find any perfect people. He doesn't have any to choose from. And when he puts you under flawed people, pointing out their flaws will not help your garden. Won't do it. Demanding that they don't see clearly will not help your garden. The question at the end of the day is, there is no problem with me being a technon. We can all agree that we are all born again. Where am I in the process of becoming a Julius? And what is it that's choking me in my life? And am I angry with those that are trying to help me become what God called me to be? Or am I thankful for them? Am I fault-finding towards them? Or am I supportive of them? Look at Hebrews 5 for me. I want you to know, too, many times in my life I've gotten this so incredibly wrong. And with keen accuracy, I could lay my finger upon my leader's flaws. Could expound upon them in great detail. All of the time absolving me of any need to change. Because as long as everybody understood, everything that went wrong was not really my fault. Then we were all good. Where does that leave me, though, in the Huyos process? Is that what God does? Does God blame everyone else for everything, or did he come down and solve the problem himself by taking all of your sin upon himself? I've learned something as a minister uh, that I knew was true, but it's hard to do. If you think somebody's struggling with homosexuality in the church, right, there's a sin people don't like to talk about in the Christian world. If you think somebody's struggling with homosexuality, you could always say, let us pray for this brother here who is struggling with homosexuality, right? How healthy would that be? Probably not all that healthy. Don't make him a little uncomfortable, her a little uncomfortable, the church might be a little uncomfortable. How do you think Jesus would do that? 
He took that sin upon himself. So as a pastor, if I really want to reach people, I need to be able to stand up and say, I am struggling with a sin. Right? You say, well, pastor, that's deceptive. No, it's, it's really not deceptive in here as well. Every one of us has got a mission to weed out the weeds in our garden. And it is all rooted in the same stuff. It is sin. And if your pride is keeping you from dealing with the problems that are in your life, and your fault-finding spirit is blaming everyone while absolving yourself, your faith is going to die. It is just a matter of time. You know, my reputation is not all that important. Jesus did everything perfectly right, and they accused him of being a drunkard. His family thought he was crazy, and his own mother, I can't believe this is written in the Gospel of Mark, but it is there, set out to take charge of him. Can you imagine an angel showed up and said when the kid was born that he'd be the rising and falling of everyone in Israel, and his mama thought he was insane at one point, literally crazy, Mark says, and went out to take charge of him like you would a little boy, and he was 30. And he did everything right. Now let's be honest. Do you do everything right? Good. Then you and I have that in common because I don't either. There are a lot of things. There are a lot of things that are not right with you and me both. And yet we're still given this mandate, aren't we? We must become mature. We must reach a unity in the faith. Hebrews 5:14. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, constant use, saints, constant use. What is constant? Constant means use without ceasing. Well, I'll use the word in this situation because it suits me. But in this situation, they don't know. What they, I mean, they, no. Constant use means that you are constantly using the word. To distinguish good from evil. If the word is a mirror, you are not picking it up, looking and seeing everyone else's sin. Because that won't help your garden. You have a responsibility. Saints, there's only one other person in this room that has the responsibility for the church body to mature. And that's Matthew. Your responsibility as an individual is to take care of your garden. We have a quote on a wall at work, and it says, When surrounded by problems and needing to find the source, draw a circle around your own two feet and then work outward from there. I heard about a Western proverb. A man stood on a hill. He was starting a town as people were coming from the East Coast traveling west. And people would come to him with their pioneer wagons and all of those things, and they would say, Friend! What kind of town is this? And he would say, tell me first, friend, what kind of town are you coming from? Oh, we're coming from a horrible town full of liars and thieves and cheats and people who hated everyone. He said, well, then you won't like this town because it's exactly the same way. The next group of travelers came and said, friend, what kind of town is this? He said, first, tell me, friend, what kind of town are you leaving? We're leaving a wonderful town. It was full of godly people who all had concern and love for one another. We just felt compelled to go west. He said, 
then you will love this town. It's exactly the same way. The reason the proverb is true is because the town is what you make it. And it's true of the church, and it's true of your own heart. I have watched people who were called to be here get mad and leave. That's happened. No question about it. It's been happening since we started. And that's okay. We're not called to pastor everybody, but I figure if enough of you float through, I'll eventually get the whole city of Houston. We'll do it 70 people at a time. The problem is, if they left here without dealing with their garden in the way that God was calling us to help them do, what do you think happened when they got to the next place? Where the preachers were so much better. And the worship was so much more anointed and the pews were so much nicer and the stained glass was so much prettier. I bet they still had the same weeds in their garden. Our church, saints, is called Life Changing Ministries because our lives are changing. Now, you and I can argue about the pace at which it needs to change. That's just fine. I'm going to push for it all in a single day and you're going to push for whatever you can tolerate. And there's going to cause a friction because of that. And it is a healthy, necessary friction. If you become comfortable in here, then it's probably because you've learned all you needed to know. You're uh, gleaned from us what you're supposed to, and it's time to move on. But if you're a little uncomfortable in most services, that's a good sign. It means that you're being spurred and challenged. If you're numb in the services... You need to make sure sin's deceitfulness has not hardened your heart. I don't know why I could sit in service after service after service while I was still lost, and it didn't bother me. And then one day, it pricked my heart. I don't know why. But I know since then, I have been working to make sure my heart was never in that condition again. Amen? Amen. One more scripture. Turns me to James. You ever gotten into a trial and wondered whose fault it was? No, I'm the only one that does that. Okay. I'm the only one that gets into a trial and goes, My God, what happened to put me here? I know. It was Steve's sin. Jen's not in here. It was Jennifer's sin. Trials come for one reason. We hung this on our wall, but we are so slow to apply it to our lives. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. When is your faith tested? When nothing's going the way you thought it would. You had this and this and this and this planned, and none of it's happening and it's not happening because... doesn't matter why because. The testing is what is important. Gives you a chance to persevere. I can tell you for whatever reason I have faced things in the last few months, but particularly the last few days, where I am setting out, excited, ready to go, and all of a sudden that melancholy thing comes over me. Right? How else are you going to learn to persevere? If it was easy every day, would you do it? It's not easy every day. Of course it's not. But that testing develops perseverance. And when you make it through something that was really hard, you know that you're going to stand during the next trial. 
Listen to this next verse. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Saints, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists were all given you. They were given you for one purpose, to help you mature, to get you into a place where your works of service are producing the kind of fruits that say, I am Julios of God, not just techno. The best possible thing that you could do is if you believe you are called to this church, and I have to believe that, or why would you be here 15 minutes after quitting time on a Wednesday night? If you believe that, figure out how to joyfully embrace that as your destiny. Spend very little time worried about what Matthew and Eric don't do right. You could write a book about that. But who would buy it? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They really don't. Because it's not about Matthew and Eric. It's about Jesus. We are fellow servants. That's it. And we're working as God has assigned each our task. I'm not telling you this because I feel attacked. I'm telling you this because I sat in your seat and I had a man who had seen Jesus, who had raised his daughter from the dead, who there was no shortage of miracles in his life. And you know what I still did? I found fault with him. I found things he said that I didn't agree with. And I let it hinder my growth. I want you to grow. I want you to mature. And in a year from now, I want you to be closer to Julio's than Techno. Amen? Amen. All right. That's all I have to say about that. All right, stand your feet. Sermon's like a box of chocolates. (laughs) They're all about half eaten. It felt good Sunday to see so many people in here, didn't it? Mm-hmm. It felt good to me, too. God will bring people as he sees fit. Yeah. And I thoroughly believe that it will grow, and it will wane, and it will grow, and it will wane. I really believe that. So it won't surprise me at all. My goal is to lose none that he has truly given us. You understand? There are people here Sunday that it was a blessing, but God didn't give them to us. He sent them here to encourage us, but he didn't give them to us. You're here because God has given you to this ministry. He determines that. You don't. It's not Luby's. You don't go pick your meal. He determines that. He places you in the body of Christ. Perform your function well. Figure out what it is and perform it well. And our church will achieve everything it's called to whether there's 7, 70 or 7,000. As long as we've not bowed the knee to Baal, God will have his way. Amen? Amen. Okay. Join hands. Let's pray. Brother Adam got a promotion. We want to praise God for that. Yeah. My mama got a good job. We want to praise God for that. Amen. Our king is working in our midst. He's working in our midst, and he will work in yours too. Don't you listen to the devil that says that you screwed up so bad he won't work on your behalf. 
It is not true. A man was dying next to him on a cross for a crime he committed, and Jesus still worked on his behalf. Your pastor stands in front of you having blown it regularly, and he is definitely working on my behalf. You'll see I wander around this church like an idiot during worship, right? Got my eyes closed, my hands up, and I'm praying. It's because he speaks to me about you. And when he tells me, I say things to you, and some of you know that. Some of you, I've spoken things to your heart that only you and Jesus knew. Why do you think he does that? He's trying to let sheep know their shepherd's voice. He is trying to encourage you. He's not through with us yet. He will take us and make us who he is to God. Mighty, mighty one. Lord, we love you. What we are may not be fancy. Lord God, whatever we are is of your design, and we embrace it. Lord, if we only have backpacks and Bibles to serve you with, that would be enough. You are beautiful, and I thank you for not giving up on me. I thank you, Lord, that though I've been stubborn, you're even more stubborn. (laughs) I'm hard-headed, Lord God, but you're keeping me from being hard-hearted. And I love you. I love you. I thank you for your mercy that I can truly say you lavished upon me. I pray that this church body would swim in that mercy. Lord, they would glean every last drop that you've given us. And then, mighty God, would go and teach others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.